welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corcor Foundation for Mental Health. I'm Terry, the creator and co-host of this podcast. I've lived with depression most of my life, and I know how easy it can be to feel all alone in the experience. I'm not alone, and you aren't either. And I'm Dr. Anita Sands, a licensed clinical psychologist and life coach with a number of my own diagnoses, all of which bring a certain amount of anxiety and depression along with them. There is great power in shared experiences. We share our own as we engage in intimate and candid conversations with our weekly guests, exploring different perspectives on and experiences with depression. We keep it real because depression is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. Hi, Terry. Hello, Anita. So this episode was prompted by a discussion we had over the holidays. A student came home from college with a friend and suddenly saw his parents' behavior through new eyes and realized there was a mental illness involved. He said his friend said, hey, dude, you know your dad has depression, right? And he said, no, why? And he said, because he's just like my mom. And she does. And so that was revelatory to him and really changed the way he perceived what was going on in his home and what he'd grown up with. So he wrote us and asked some questions about depression and said what a huge relief it was to realize that his father's symptoms were that and not reactions to his own, his son's failings, because the son had taken that on and mm-hmm. assumed that. That exchange reminded us of an interview that we did a couple years back with Michelle Dickinson, who talked about the impact of living with a mother with bipolar disorder and how that experience affected her own ability to trust and relax and and have healthy boundaries and relationships herself. So we're going to replay the interview, and then I'll share a little bit about what we know in the field about how parents who are struggling with depression, what they can do to try to protect their kids and share some low-barrier methods, things that won't add to the work and the struggle of trying to manage depression while also wanting to do the best that you can for your kids. So here now is Michelle Dickinson giving her voice to depression. All right. Well, let's start with the fact that you have a pretty unique understanding of how important and maybe how fragile mental health is from the outside and from the inside. So if you don't mind telling me a bit about your mother and what that experience was like and how old you were when you realized something was not normal, and I'm using quotes there, and what that looked like, and probably more importantly, what it felt like. Yeah, my mom. Um, It was Probably when I was three or four, I had cousins that came to live with us. And until that point, my mom was like a typical mom. Like, I don't remember anything. Now I was very little, but I don't remember my mom being anything less than a loving mom. And when my two cousins came to live with us, there was like instant pressure is my only um, sort of justification for it. Because then she became very irrational and very, um, I don't know how to explain it. She was incredibly strict and structured with having three children. And Mm -hmm. that was when she started to have these symptoms of, you know, massive control to sadness, to 
to extreme mania, just running around, just being hyper, not sleeping. Michelle says as her erratic childhood years passed, her mother became more and more fragile. You know, and then she would have these deep, dark, depressive periods of time where there was nothing you could do to console her from crying. She would sit on the couch and cry. There'd be times in the middle of the night the lights would be all on downstairs and she would just be sitting in her chair crocheting and crying and not sleeping. And there was nothing you could do about it. And then, you know, the house would slip into chaos where she was no longer cooking. She was no longer cleaning. And it fell on us to sort of pick things up. So it was hard. So how was it explained to you as a child? I mean, did your father or someone tell you your mom was actually ill or were you just left to wonder what the heck was going on? So her mania was a lot like Disney and I never thought anything bad of it, but it was the depression. It was the it was the nervous and upset uh, pattern that would ultimately have her be taken away to the hospital that my my father and my grandmother and my aunt would explain to me that your mother's sick and she has to go away. And she would be gone for for weeks. Um, She'd undergo uh, shock therapy, all kinds of treatment, and then she would come home. Wow. How many hospitalizations? I would say throughout my whole childhood and young adult years, Mm -hmm. six or seven times. So as a child and young adult, did you understand that her illness wasn't your fault or in your control? I wish I could say yes to that, but... My father's understanding of the disease was not where it could have been. And you're also dealing with the 1970s and 80s when mental illness was a very different thing. My father, I can remember him saying snap out of it to her. Like you can't, you know that. It's like you can't tell a bipolar person to snap out of it. And if she was upset and he came home from work, he would say to me, well, if you were just a good girl, she wouldn't have been upset. So no, I mean, I, I took that burden on and thought that I could influence and have an impact on her level of sickness. So what'd you do? Did you avoid her? Did you try to be that good girl? What was your attempt at controlling her sadness and behaviors? I played the role of a chameleon. I feel like when I reflect, and I'm still in therapy to this day at 48, trying to unpack all this, I would adjust to whatever mood she was having. And so if she was sad, I would try to make her happy. If she was angry or volatile, I would make myself uh, scarce because I knew if I was within within her distance that I was going to be you know, the source of her relief in whatever way. That constant focus on and adjustment to her mother's health and mood left little space for Michelle or her family to tune into and attend to her own. I muted myself. I didn't I didn't open my mouth to what I needed and what I wanted. I just tried to be out of sight and out of mind most of the time. And that that shaped me into having me feel like my voice didn't matter. You know, like my my needs didn't matter. Everything was around making sure she was happy and peaceful. So you used the word chameleon. I have also lived with someone with bipolar disorder. Mine was a father. Do you remember coming home and immediately doing the barometer? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, I wrote my memoir, Breaking Into My Life, and 
on my website, there's a free excerpt and there, the excerpt is about me coming home from school and not knowing the mother that I was going to get. And like the trepidation when I put my hand on the doorknob to enter the back door of the house and just knowing she's going to either be in a good mood and happy to see me or she's going to beat the crap out of me. And I don't know what I'm going to get. Did you bring friends home? Rarely. So there were times where I had a confidence that she was okay enough and then I would bring a friend home and then she'd have strange behavior that I'd have to explain for like the next several weeks to my friends. Like, no, she's really okay. She's normal. But her behavior would be so off the wall that you'd be so embarrassed by who, by, you know, what she was doing and what she was saying. So, yeah. Is it hard even now to talk about it? No. I mean, you know, I think certain conversations remind me of how hard it was, but you know, like you, I, I'm now dedicating my life to removing the stigma of mental health. And that's, that's what's at stake. It's not about, you know, how hard it was for me. If I can help someone understand how hard it is to love someone with a mental illness and how punishing it can be for a a loved one, a caregiver, then that's the end game for me. And I'm willing to talk about my story, you know? Um, of course, it invokes emotions because it was my mother and I only ever wanted her to be healthy and happy and enjoyable to be with, but I never got that or rarely got that. Okay, so let's talk about helping somebody. If there's somebody listening, maybe a child, maybe another adult in the house, and they know that this situation is going on and it's a reality for the child, what does the kid need to do? What does the kid need to understand about mental illness and the adult in their life and their role in all of it. Yeah. You know, I, I think if I was to rewind and say what I wish what someone would have done for me is they, they could have pulled me aside and said, your mother's illness has nothing to do with you and your behavior has nothing to do with you and their, and, and who you are. Her absence in my life in so many ways was painful Um, but this belief that I had that I was causing this unexplained pain was just not fair. I think kids who are in situations with a parent who has a mental illness, they should know first and foremost that it's not their fault. So what about that? I know that one of the things I have frequently said in therapy myself is I can handle hard truths, but the part I don't do well with is people pretending this is normal when you know it's not. Did you know it wasn't normal? I mean, it was your normal. I understand that. Or did you figure out what normal was when you went to friends' houses? Yeah, I think that was it. I didn't know what I didn't know until I went to a friend's house and saw, oh, wow, this is what it's supposed to be. Or this is very different from my childhood. Like, yeah, I think that was a huge revelation. But then I had another revelation as I got older. I had someone say to me that your mother is not her disease. Separate your mother from her disease. And she's still a loving, caring woman, human being. So separate her from her disease and don't hate her. Hate the disease. And I thought, that's really insightful because, no, I collapsed those two because she was not nice to me and I was at the effects of her abuse. So it's very hard to say, Mm -hmm. I love you, but I hate your disease. And that took some, some distance and time and maturity and 
all of that. Yep. <laughs> and and her death. Yeah, I think I sort of realized that after her death that she just did the best she could with the mental illness, you know, and sort of began to forgive her for what I thought she should have been. Yeah, for what I thought she should have been to me. I, I was able to forgive her. And from the most, the place of grace, of course, it's probably what she wanted to be too. We, we now as adults realize. Oh my goodness. And you know, I'm adopted and I thought, oh, I'm never going to deal with this. Like, no, I don't have her genes. So life events happen and people get people get knocked down. And so that's what happened to me is I was diagnosed with clinical depression and I was like, huh. So this is a snapshot of what her entire, probably majority of her adult life was like. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. For me, it was a blip in the, in the bigger picture. It was a short amount of time for my overall life, knock wood. For her, that was her life. What did you realize, and maybe I'm asking you to tell me about your depression, but maybe I'm not. What did you realize in your depression that made you... I don't know, is the word soften or is it just better understand? It's definitely a better understanding because I could understand how hard it was for me to get out of bed in the morning, right? It was hard for me to get out of bed in the morning with depression. And then I was able to understand, oh my gosh, for my mom, it must have been really hard to have bipolar and like function. It was the function functioning of in life with depression that was huge for me to get my mom's world. When you were depressed, were you able to separate yourself from your illness? It's kind of hard to do that. Yeah, it is. When it comes to abuse is when I'm saying we have to separate it because there's a loving human being there who isn't intending. Someone once said to me, the hurt hurt others. My mother was hurting. Mm -hmm. And because she was hurting, she was hurting those around her. Yeah, that is, you know, again, from my now adult, um, you know, very distanced and post his death, um, my heart breaks that he didn't have attention and meds because I believe that his entire life and therefore our lives would have been very different. Mm-hmm. Very different. And it's, you know, he also missed out. It wasn't just us. You know, that was his life too. And that's sad. Sure. sure. If you're in a relationship with somebody who has depression, bipolar disorder, how do you respect them and care for and protect yourself? You know, I think anyone who has some type of mental illness should always be in care. And if they're not in care, then encouraging them to get into some type of care or support is the first step. And if they're not, then you really have to do some reflecting as to, you know, what are you gaining from putting up with something that doesn't serve you? And as a kid, you don't really have a choice. No, I didn't have a choice. It's a conversation of medication, too. I know a lot of people might not believe in medication, but if medication is going to stabilize your mood so that you're enjoyable for yourself to be around, and then for the, the if you have a love in your life to be around, that's a responsibility. Like You can do life successfully if you're cared for and treated by a professional. You know, I, I know so many amazing people who have a mental illness who are doing very well because they manage it and they take responsibility for their for their mental health. Um, and they want that partner or that family member in their life. So, you know, it's like everyone has a role in this. 
So, Terry, I know we're going to link to, you know, some resources for um, for parents of, you know, who have depression. But I remember one of the um, one of the things that I read in one of those is that over over 15 million um, kids live with a parent who is managing depression. That's a huge number. And I'm sure it's higher than um, than when they actually did that survey. Um, one of the things that I think is really important for people to remember, especially especially us parents, is that kids don't stop loving you because you're struggling to manage men- mental illness. That's that's not going to be the thing. Nothing has to be perfect. As a parent, you're always doing the best that you can given the circumstances. And when those circumstances include that you're trying to manage uh, a chronic illness, a medical illness, a mental illness, we have to take that into account. And your kids will actually take that into account as well. But while you're doing the best that you can, um, we would ask that parents consider these few things. And again, we consider these to be low barrier, meaning they're not likely going to drain a lot of energy or take a lot of time, but they can make a huge difference to your child. So the first um, recommendation is that you want to be age appropriately honest with your kids about what is going on, you know, about what you have, about what it does to you. And then secondly, you want to make sure that you let them know what you are doing about it to manage it so that they recognize that even though you have this this thing that can be big and scary, you're also maintaining the role of being the responsible adult and saying, but I am doing this and this and this, or I have this support team and we're, we're going to be managing it. It's so much harder when your parent doesn't maybe doesn't even know, maybe hasn't named it, hasn't had it diagnosed, hasn't yes. had it treated, isn't managing it. And I think that's the case for a lot of kids. Yes. And then you take it on. Then you think it's your fault. Yes. And then you think it's also your responsibility mm-hmm. to keep your parent happy, to keep your parent mm-hmm. from exploding, to keep your parent from whatever their uh, symptoms are. You take it on. If the parent says, listen, I have depression, there are mm-hmm. going to be times I just can't make a meal, there are going to be times I can't this, times I can't come to your game, your play, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think a kid could roll with that. But when they come home and their parent seems to be rejecting them, yes. that's a whole different thing. Yes. Yeah. And and to the extent that a parent is able to try to maintain that connection with the child, regardless of what's going on, of course, you want them to try to do that. Nobody's going to do that perfectly. But I'm going to agree with you that if if your parent is lost in mania or, um, you know, or something that takes them away, disconnects them or makes them turn on them in, a, in an abusive way, that's going to that's going to be obviously one of the hardest things for a child to accept because children don't look at their parents and think there's a right. problem with my parent. No. They just don't. That's not how kids conceptualize things. Kids conceptualize things with if if my if my mom or dad is yelling at me or throwing things or, you know, kind of isolating themselves in a room and won't speak to me, yep. Yep. I must have done something wrong. Yep. Kids personalize that. And it's always about I'm not good enough, I did something wrong, and then leads to that that kind of hypervigilance of trying yes. to walk on eggshells or be the perfect child or something like that. So 
you're right. If if a parent is is at least in touch enough and managing their their issues enough to be able to do these things, of course, this is the ideal, and this will be helpful and protective for their kids. If they don't, what we honestly hope is that kids will, as I think that Michelle and others, as they see other families, they begin to realize something is wrong. Yes, you know that it's that. This is not how a normal family functions. It doesn't mean it's going to completely erase that feeling of being responsible, but at, usually at some point in time, and and also thanks to the internet, kids are at some point going to begin to realize, okay, maybe this isn't just about me. Maybe there is something really, mm-hmm. really going on with my mom or my dad. And that can be the beginning, hopefully, of a journey of of getting some therapy and kind of being able to go back and look at your childhood through those adult eyes that recognize, wait a minute, this was not about me. This might have been about me, but but all of this other stuff was not about me. Yeah. I couldn't have I couldn't have been good enough or perfect enough to, you know, to take away depression or bipolar disorder or, you know, a substance abuse disorder in a parent. Any more than we could be good enough to take away their diabetes or their cancer or anything else they might be exactly. suffering from. Exactly. You know, we just, again, yes. and, and things need to change an awful lot more, but they have changed so much since I was a kid. And even since Michelle, though she's younger than me, you know, there's just, mm-hmm. there is more awareness. And now I think if you went to the school guidance counselor and said, you know, wow, you know, I, I feel like I'm walking on landmines every time I go home, there would be a different mm-hmm. response than there was so yes. I'm very yes. grateful for the yep. advances made and, and very hopeful for uh, future advances. Me too. Me too. It's a, it's a tough situation. And I think that parents who are struggling with depression, I think many of them are acutely aware of the possibility of a negative impact on their kids of, of, you know, of what they're struggling with. And that can just add to the burden of depression is feeling like, okay, now I'm a terrible parent in addition to being a terrible everything else that depression is telling you. Um, mm-hmm. So trying to to do what you can, again, to not be perfect, to recognize that you can be a good enough parent, even when you have depression, even when you're struggling, that the bar is is not as high as depression would tell a parent it is to be, mm-hmm. you know, for your kids to to like you, to love you, and to feel like they had a great parent. And some of the things that I, you know, that I think we recommend that parents do is, again, if they know that they are struggling and they can be honest about the fact that they're getting help, um, make sure that you can try to make that available for your kids too. You know, mm. to, to model that seeking help is is a good thing and you're going to seek help for them if they need that as well. And just do do the low energy things. You know, depression makes everything in your life kind of unpredictable and inconsistent. Um, the ability to do things being inconsistent. And kids, of course, we know do best with consistency. So it's it's terrible for that. But if you can find a low energy activity or ritual, you know, picnic in bed on, you know, Saturdays, um, watching a favorite show with your kid, um, even just laying on the floor with them and listening to to music, um, something that lets that child know that they're important to you, even if the activities that depression's going to, you know, take from you, you can't be as active as you'd like to be. You can still do things with your kids that let them feel loved and cared about. And that's really the most important thing. And I'll share, I haven't shared this on the podcast before, but when you just said a picnic in bed, 
we had a Thanksgiving in bed in, in the absolute depths of my worst depression. And the kids both came home from college mm-hmm. and I just did. I'm, you know, I can be a little Martha Stewart in, in, the, in my good days about the, the holidays. This was not. And we had, I think it was cold cuts. I think it was, you know, it was definitely sandwiches. And we binged on a Netflix mm-hmm. series and sat in bed, one on each side of me. And um, they refer to that as one of their favorite Thanksgivings. And they didn't know. That's Nobody right. knew till That's I started right. the podcast. That's right. That's why I'm saying they didn't care about the the, the dressing and the no cranberries. <laughs> yeah, they cared about being home and being with mom, and we were snuggling. Exactly. And, you know, I was in and out of sleep because I could hardly do that. But um, mm-hmm. so so it's true. I mean, they they felt loved. They felt connection. Yes, and there are parents who don't suffer from mental illness who don't take that time to just snuggle on the couch with kids or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But if, if you have something that has sapped your energy, mm-hmm. I tell people, throw the blankets on the floor. Put the board game that you want to play with your kids on the floor. Everybody's on the floor with pillows and blankets. And those are awesome nice. memories. And you're right. Your kids are not going to mm-hmm. hone in on what you couldn't do. They're going to remember what you guys did do. And mm-hmm. and that is everything. That's that's the time. Yeah. That's the safe space. That's the connection that kids Excellent. need with their parents. Nothing has to be perfect. Nice message. So as Anita said, we will be linking to some resources. And there is also an organization called Families for Depression Awareness that I'm real impressed with. If you want to learn more from or about Michelle Dickinson, our guest today, if you're on social media, uh, Twitter, she is M. Dickinson 13 and on Instagram she is Michelle Dickinson 71 so again thank you to Michelle and all of our other guests we truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding helps you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression or better understand how to support someone else who is struggling If this episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, take the time to listen. 